Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Well, I needed 320 bicycles. We got 120, no pressure, we need only 200 more. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, God always comes through and he tells us he is God. Amen. And uh, I thank God for his faithfulness and leading us uh, all through these years uh, as we minister to him. And he shows up all the time and he shows that he is God. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you experience him like that in your life? Amen. We had uh, Pastor Ross and, and Mary with us for one conference. You know, that we had about 1,500, 2,000 pastors and they were ministering to them. So, and those pastors had to tra- travel about four to five days to get to the conference. That's just like starting off with walking and crossing the river by boat and then walk and then get onto a jeep and get somewhere and finally they'll get to a place to get a train. So when they get the train, then it will be again another 50 hours of riding uh, to get to the place. So you can imagine, you know, so for a conference of five days, they're traveling 10 days and up and down to, but they want to be there. They want to receive God's blessing. And they, they, you can see the expectation in their hearts because they are, most of them are all alone uh, working in a remote place. And this once a year uh, conference is, is kind of a, a blessed time where they, they can feel that they are not alone, but there's a group of men and women standing with them. Amen. So, and they're doing a wonderful work and, and there they are uh, serving God uh, wherever they are in a very hostile situation. I, I hope that you will you'll watch, you know, maybe you might be able to see that on the internet, uh, you know, the, the news about India, because nothing is hidden anymore, right? Even if the government of India wants to hide it, well, you can't hide that because the social media will bring it out somewhere. And uh, so uh, I want you to keep uh, watching because we want you to pray for the nation of India because we go through lots of challenges and, and persecutions and troubles and we do not know uh, how long we will be having the freedom uh, to preach the gospel. Well, that is not going to change anything because we'll continue to preach. You know, whether there is freedom or not, whether there is challenge or not, doesn't really matter. Maybe we might need to change the gear and do it differently. And uh, which, whatever that is, we don't know. Because most of the time in the work of God's kingdom, you can't plan ahead God's work and how you're going to do it. And when that happens, then you will know how to handle it, how to go on uh, with your ministry. I still remember before I was ever beaten up, well, I've been beaten up several times. So it's not a big deal anymore. And uh, so they have left me in the bush unconscious. They tried to drown me in the river when I was baptizing the people and all that. But before I was ever beaten up, I always used to wonder how would I respond? Will I fight back? Will I take a stone and throw at them? Or take a rod and break the head? Or what will I do? Am I supposed to be the minister of the gospel? So, how do you find that out? Well, the only way is get beaten up and see what happens. Right? Because you cannot sit there and work out how it's going to happen. So I was preaching in this small meeting. Right by the side of a house, they had a little property. And I was conducting this meeting in this very tough area. And I was... Uh, preaching the gospel. Maybe about 150, 200 people would, would have been there. 
So in the middle of the meeting, in the middle of my sermon, we heard this noise of a huge mob coming. And there was more people in the mob than the people that were there to listen to the preaching. So I, saw, I thought maybe if they will join us, there will be a good meeting. <laughs> But they were not coming to hear me preach. They were coming to disturb the meeting. So they came. I could see them having sticks and iron rods and all this kind of stuff. And they came screaming. And the people started getting up and running here and there. And they came to the platform And uh, they dragged me from the platform. And I'm thinking like this, I'm only a guy five foot four inches tall. 200 guys have come to get me, you know. So they took me out and they started beating me. And every time they beat me, they threw me on the floor, on the ground, they're kicking me. And every time they are, they're beating me, they're saying, this will be the last day for your life. We're going to kill you. You'll be dead and... And I'm thinking maybe they are serious, you know. So then a guy hit me on my head and uh, I, I passed out. Then after some time I woke up and I thought they have killed me. So I'm thinking, well, now it's a deal of going to heaven, right? So I'm waking up thinking that I was in heaven. I opened my eyes, thinking, you know, looking for these pearly streets that I've heard so much about and all this stuff. And I looked and it looked all grass and everything everywhere and realized I was not in heaven. And uh, the only thing that I had was a pain in my head for two years. And I had to live with that uh, pain. And what happened was when I got up, that's what I'm trying to say, God put a verse in my heart. And the verse was that uh, uh, in, I think in Acts chapter 5, when Peter and John were taken into the council and when they were beaten up so badly and their bodies throbbing, they came out. And we read like this, they came out of the council rejoicing because God has counted them to suffer for his sake. That was the verse. And that's the verse came into my heart. And the joy came into my life, came into my heart. I said, Lord, thank you for, for counting me worthy to suffer for you. And anyway, I was wondering why, why they didn't kill me. What are the guys? Everybody was gone. And uh, so these poor men and women standing on the side, petrified about all that has happened. So I walked back to the platform, kind of a little in a raised up area. And I went back to finish the message that I left half done before I was beaten up. Amen. So I preached. We had a good meeting. I gave an altar call. So we had about 45 people gave their hearts to the Lord. Well, so everything went on schedule except this beating deal. Okay. So I always wondered why, why they didn't kill me if they wanted to. And what happened to these people? Where did they go? So I was staying in my office maybe about a few months later. And one day a, a rough looking young guy walked in. And uh, I looked at him and I said, well, come on in. Whom do you want to meet? So he said, I want to meet with you. I said, good. Who are you? And he told me that he was a leader of the group that came the other day to come and beat me and he said they were wanting to kill me. So I said to him, all right, why are you here today? And he says a story. He said, when you are lying there unconscious, we said, let us execute our plan, let us kill him. We'll stab him, we'll break his head with an iron rod and we'll kill him. And uh, the leaders of the community has promised them there'll be no problem for them. They will cover them up. So they were saying, okay, come on, let's kill him. So when one guy said, let's kill him, there's another guy said, no, we have beaten him enough. We don't need to kill him. Let's go back. And the other guy said, no, no, we should kill him. That's a plan. 
So another guy said, no, we don't need to kill him. Kill him, don't kill him, we don't need to kill him, we should kill him. And that divided them into two groups. Amen. So they got so angry with each other, they wanted to settle that, that problem before they can come back and kill me. So they went to the riverbed close by, and he said they fought all night over the issue of killing that guy. Is that good there? And he said, and I was on the, on the side of killing you, and the other group was too big, and the fighting was so fierce, and I was beaten up the most of all. <laughs> you know, when you hear something like that from the people, you know, who was beaten up, who wanted to kill you, what you really want to say is, serves you right. But we are Christians. But we can't say those things. So what do you do? You just stand there and say, oh, I'm so sorry. Praise the Lord. You know? And uh, so then he said, from that day onwards, his life was completely turned around for worse. He was working as a storekeeper in a company. And he was stealing all the time. And the next day morning, he was caught by the people in the company and they took him and threw him into the jail. Serves you right again. Right? So he was there for about six months in the jail and he came out only the day before of the, out of the jail. He went to the, his family and the father said, you are a shame for us. Never step into my house again. Get out. Go and get lost. So he threw him out of the house. So he was thinking, I was ashamed of, of everybody calling him thief, ashamed of being in the prison. Now the family has shut his door on him, and he said, okay, I don't want to live anymore. I'm going to kill myself. So he decided to go and throw himself on the railroad and get run over by the train. So that was the plan. So he was sitting on the railroad and waiting for the train because Trains don't come that often. You have to wait for some time. So he's there sitting and waiting for the train. And he said, as I was sitting there, the thought about you came into my mind. And I said to myself, that young guy was only preaching about God. And I beat him up and I wanted to kill him. And look at my life now. And I'm about to kill myself. But before I do that, I will go back and apologize to this guy and tell him that I was sorry for what I've done so I can come back and, and kill myself in peace. All right? So I'm sitting there listening to the guy and I'm thinking, well, will God bring me to his remembrance at the railroad just before he was going to die and send him all the way to come and say sorry to me and then go back to kill himself? I said, no, 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 that's not the plan. I said to myself, this is his day. It is this day to find Christ in his life. So I sat him down. I started to share about the Lord Jesus Christ with him. And within minutes, there he was, you know, with tears running down his rugged face, that he opened his heart and received Jesus Christ. And he became a child of God. Amen? Hallelujah. I asked him, well, what would you like to do in your life? He said, I don't want to do anything. I want to be like you. I want to go and tell everybody else about the loving and saving grace of this Jesus Christ. That's all I want to say, do. I said, that's good. So I put him in one of my Bible schools. And uh, today, he's one of my pastors, uh, ready to be beaten up by others. Do you like that? <laughs> so what is a way of getting good pastors? Go and have an outreach program and get smashed to your head and beaten up thoroughly. And then you wait for the guy to come to your office. 
And when he will come about to kill himself, you get him saved and then put him in the Bible school, you will have a fine pastor. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Get ready for the dog. It's going to happen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Life is so exciting in India. Christianity is amazing. Working for God is far greater than being amazing. Amen. And it is such a great adventure. You never know what is going to happen to you the next day. You never know what about your life. Is it safe? But God always takes care of you. Amen. And just not me, all my pastors and many of them, you know, suffering and struggling and beaten up, but they are still there. Amen. We will not go down. We will rise up again. Amen. That's what I have taught my pastors. I told them I'm not dead. I've been beaten up so many times. And don't come and sit in front of me and cry just because you got beaten up once. And what about the next 10 times? Amen? That's what I tell them. But uh, so God has been so gracious. I mean, there's a, there's a table outside there in the back. And uh, there are some pastor's photographs that you can take one with you by deciding to give $2 a day. You can't even buy a coffee with that money, but you can change the life of a family in India. Amen? If you put away those $2 aside, that will change the, the life and the ministry. You know, by supporting a pastor, you are actually sending a family to a place where gospel has never been preached ever in the history ever since Jesus came to this world. That's $2 a day. And I think that's worth investing in to take care of the pastor and family. And there are hundreds of orphans who need help. We've got photographs of orphans and there are other details there. And uh, Pastor Peter said you'll be taking an offering at the end of the service. And every penny that you give will be used for God's kingdom. Amen? And all I can say is God will bless you real good. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. I feel like preaching. Is that okay? This is my last meeting in Harvey Bay for this year. And uh, after that, I'll be gone from here. So I think I should preach my last message. Is that okay? I'm trying to find it. All right. Is it okay I preach a little bit? Yes. You look so enthusiastic. You know? Just, did I hear somebody say that? Thank you. It's just you and me now. <laughs> All right? I want you to turn your Bible to the book of Ezra. Do you know there's a book called Ezra in the Bible? Even computer is going to find it difficult to find it. Okay? Everybody has found it? Your iPhones are not working properly. What's happening? All right, the book of Ezra. You flip from Genesis and it keeps going and Matthew comes. Oh, what am I going to do? Go backwards. You know, get to Psalms and... Start putting a slow gear and go slowly backwards. Then you'll be able to find it. Amen? All right. The book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So that's where we'll begin my message today. Amen? And it says, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. It says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus the king. The question is, 
What was the word that came through the mouth of Jeremiah? It was the same word that God spoke through every generation saying what he wants to do with his own people. So the message was pretty simple and clear. God said to his people, he said like this, if you will obey me and if you will obey my statutes and if you will walk in my ways, then God said that I will be your God and you will be my people. And he said, I will protect you, I will provide for you, and I'll fight the enemies, and I will take care of your life. And then he goes on to say, but if you will disobey me, if you will turn your back on me, if you will walk away from my statutes, and then God says, then I will take away my hand of protection away from you. And then the enemies will walk all over you. Enemies will walk in and destroy your city, your nation. And they will come and take you and your wives, your children as slaves. And you'll be scattered around the world because of your disobedience. And then he goes on to say, but even in the land of captivity, if you will repent of your sins, and if you will call upon my name, I will hear your prayers. Amen. Let me stop there for a moment. You know, that sounds like us. God is saying, even after our disobedience, turning our back on him, and of course God will stick to what he said. He will take the hand of protection away from us. He will let go the enemy to try tread into our land. But he says, even in the land of captivity, if you will repent of your sins, God says, I will hear your prayers. If God never had that clause, none of us will be in the church today. Amen? Because it was just like the Old Testament people of Israel. We have been the same. You know, what the people did there was, though they knew the blessing of obedience, though they knew the problem of disobedience, the price that they needed to pay, even in spite of that, they kept on disobeying God time and time again. They turned their back on God. And of course, God stick to what he said. And the enemies came and they tread the, the land and they took the people as slaves. And it happened in many different times, like Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and all these different times, the Babylonian king came and destroyed the land. It's all because of the disobedience of God's people. And amazingly, we are no different. We are the same. We know the blessing of obedience. We know the problem of disobedience. But we choose to disobey God. We choose to turn our back on him. But the good news is, even after all that, in the land of captivity, in the middle of our sinful life, if you will repent and call upon his name, the Bible says he will listen to our prayers. Can you say a little amen to that? He will listen to you and me. And he says, I will listen to your prayers and I will bring you back to the land that you belong. I'll bring you back the freedom, the blessing that I've given to you. I'll give it back to you once again. Amen? So now, the story is here they are in the land of Babylon. They're slaves. They are struggling in their life. And they called upon God. They repented of their sins. And they said, God, we have sinned against you. Please have mercy upon us. And they called upon God and now the ball is in God's court. Because God said, if you'll do that, I will deliver you. I will bring you back from the land of captivity. And I will bless you. So now the people have done their part of repenting and calling upon his name. Now it is God's side 
to deliver them. But the question is, how is he going to do it? They are in a land where they are slaves. They can't fight against the people. They cannot fight against the king. How are they going to deliver themselves? What is the answer? When God decides to deliver you and me, you should always know God has got a million ways of doing it. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And most of the ways are always strange that we can't understand. And that's what he did here in this story. And it says, so that he can fulfill the word that was spoken through Jeremiah. It says, what did God do here? God stirred the spirit of a heathen king by name Cyrus. Amen? What is he trying to do? He's trying to deliver the people out of the land of Babylon. And the only way out is he has to get God on his side. Amen? I mean, he has to have the king on his side. So for that, he's turned up the heart, the spirit of the king. Amen? Stirring is a word that is very much connected with cooking. Right? When you are having a pot of stew cooking on the stove, you are sitting and talking to your friend. Suddenly you jump up from there and you are dashing towards the kitchen. And you take that wooden spoon and you are starting to stir the pot. Why are you doing that? Today, this evening, by the way, I didn't tell you the, the title of my message. My title of my message tonight is The Art of Cooking. I forgot, I forgot to say that in the beginning. All right? There is a cooking class here. Do you know how to cook? Well, thank you for those men who is raising their hands. <laughs> All right? So now you are stirring the pot. I'm going to ask you questions, okay? You please answer me. I'm not preaching anymore if you're not, not answering me. So the question number one is this. You have been talking to your friend. And the pot is cooking in the kitchen. How did you know you have to get there and stir the pot? How did you know? Huh? You, you could smell it. Right? You can smell it. And the, what is the smell telling you? Is it telling that everything is fine? Is that what the... Uh, what the uh, Smell is saying, what is it saying? All right. Something is going wrong in there. Right? That's what the smell is telling you. And you're going there. And when you get to the pot, when you look at the pot, how does it look like? When you look on the surface, is there anything wrong with it? No. Everything is fine on the surface. And how did you know it is burning? So when it burns, where does it burn? On the top or the bottom? All right. So the top looks nice, but you know something is going wrong inside because of the smell. So you take the wooden spoon and you start stirring it. And when you stir it, when you do it on time, you have saved the stew. Amen? If you missed it, if you are too much engrossed in your conversation, well, go and buy some fish and chips. I like fish and chips, by the way. I couldn't think of anything better than that to tell you. Well, sorry about that. Because that, that is no good. The pot is burnt so badly, even the pot cannot be used anymore. All right. I want to talk to you. That's what it is like backsliding. Okay. Backsliding is like everything looks nice, but there's a smell coming. Right? He or she is coming to church every Sunday, lifting up the hands and singing with everybody else and putting the money in the offering and everything is all going okay except smelling. You hear me? You, can, you can't put your finger 
but something is wrong. Everything is okay on the, on the surface, but something is burning. That's how backsliding takes place. When you are backsliding in an in initial stage, you don't look any different to the other people. But backsliding people, watch out, you smell bad. Did I lose my offering? Uh, that, who, who cares? When I'm preaching, I don't care about the offering. So that's why where it all began. And what happens is when you get to that place of backsliding, you know, you're moved from the third row to the seventh row, well, you are smelling. And then to the twelfth row. Now you're standing at the door while well, you're trying to get out. Because it's smelling, it is burning. Amen? So what we actually need is we need a timely stirring so that you can save the stew. Amen? We need a timely stirring in the spirit of that person, then that person can be saved, can be brought back to the Lord. If it is let go for a while, then he won't come to church and then he'll be very open about his lifestyle and then you find him in a pub sometime. Well, that's over, right? So that's what it's talk about uh, the life of a backsliding believer. That's what staring is needed. So I have to change my title now. I've done my cooking tale. So now I want to share uh, what I would like to call is that God wants to stir your heart tonight. That, that sounds a better title, isn't it? So God wants to stir our hearts. And here, God wants to deliver the people of Israel from bondage and slavery. And the way, the method that God chose was to stir the heart of a heathen king that he will start to work along the side of the eternal God and which will ultimately bring freedom to God's people. Amen? And that will happen only when the heart is turned. We will change when we allow God to stir our hearts. Amen? I believe that every one of us, whether you are an apostle or a pastor or a leader or an elder or a deacon or, or a member, no matter who you are, Every one of us, time and time again, need a staring in our spirit. Can you say amen to that? Because if you let it sit there too long, you'll start to get cold. You'll start to get hot. You'll start to get burning. And it'll be difficult to bring us back. But we have to allow God to deal with us continually so that we will be sharp and and ready in God's presence. Amen? God stirred the heart of the king. So when you allow God to stir our hearts, what will happen to us? What changes that can take place in our life if you allow God to stir our hearts? Would you like to hear what will happen to us? Well, there will be about 87 transformation that will take place. When you allow God to stir our hearts. Look at you. you are, you're frozen already. You're, you're sitting there thinking, is he serious? I am. No. Okay, let's just do a few things and when you and I get tired, we can pray and finish. Is that okay? That's a good deal. I don't have any, any uh, big notes with me so that we can do it anytime. Okay, so number one, when God stares our spirit, this is what will happen. We read in verse 2, he makes a proclamation and he said, Thus says Cyrus the king of Persia, he says, All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. That's number one. You have to understand he is not the king of the Jews. He's not the king of Israel. He's a heathen king worshiping idols. 
And now the only thing that has happened is he has allowed his heart to be stirred by God. And when God stirred his spirit, he is making a proclamation and he says, all the kingdoms of this earth, because Babylonian kingdom is one of the biggest kingdom of that time. And he says, all these kingdoms, the Lord God of heaven has given to me. Amen. So what is he saying? What is the change that has taken place in his life? He says, this kingdom is not made because of my power. It was not made by my glory, my strength. It was given to me by God the Almighty. Amen? So what do you call? You will call that, that when God states your heart, that you and I will start to glorify God in our life. Amen? We will not take glory for ourselves, which we normally do, and we are good at it. But when God states our heart, we will stop taking glory for ourselves then we will start glorifying God. Amen? It's not my kingdom. He gave it to me. There was another great king in Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And one day he was standing on the porch of the palace. And he was looking across the same kingdom. And he said like this, Behold, the kingdom that my muscles, that I have made for myself, and there was a voice from heaven. And God spoke to him and he said, Because you did not glorify my name. Because you took the glory for yourself. Your kingdom is taken away from you. And you'll be thrown into the jungle. And there you'll be with the cattle eating the grass. Until you will call upon my name. Until you will declare that all glory belongs to me. And see number two. The kingdom is gone. King was stripped of all his royal clothes. There he was with the cows and the cattle, drawing all his nails drawn. There he was eating grass. And there he called upon God and said, I'm sorry. It is not my kingdom. It is your kingdom. God said, thank you very much. Come back. <laughs> That's the first thing that will happen when you and I allow God to stare our hearts. We will give glory to God. Amen. Your, your business, you think that it was your ability? Too bad you don't know the truth. Your job, your family, whatever you're able to achieve in life, you should know it is not you, it is not you, it is God. Amen. And you and I should be willing to give God the glory. Amen. Hallelujah. We humble ourselves. We glorify God. And that will happen only when your heart is stirred. When my heart is stirred, that's what will happen. Amen. Number two. The same verse. And it says, And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. That's the second thing that will happen when you and I allow God to stir our hearts. He says, I want to build the house, a temple for God in Jerusalem. Heathen king, what does he want to do? He doesn't want to build a temple for the goddess, but he wants to build the temple for the living God. Amen. His desire came, he wants to build the house of God. In other words, it is wanting to build the kingdom of God. Amen? Suddenly your priorities will change. Till the heart is turned, your priority and my priority is building my life. My everything. Building up the bank balance. Buying one more house. Doing all these things. Hoarding things for myself. Because that's what my priority is. Until God messes it up. Until God stares your heart. And suddenly you say, well, I've been wasting my life. 
I was wasting, wasting my time. I was wasting my money. Uh, now I want to do it differently. What am I wanting to do? I want to build his kingdom. Amen. Hallelujah. Self-builders should become kingdom builders. Amen. That's the kind of people who God is looking for to be in the church. We should be kingdom builders. Hallelujah. Not just sitting there and calculating, how can I make that one more dollar so I can have a good time. It's time for us to say, I don't care because I want to build God's kingdom. Amen. To build God's kingdom, you should let God to stay in our hearts. Amen. And you'll say, I want to build the kingdom of God for a change. And that's going to satisfy me more than anything else. Amen. And number three, we're getting there. And verse five, the decision was made to go and build the kingdom, the, the house of God. Now the people are going to build. Listen to this. In verse five it says, then the head of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all those whose spirits God has moved, arose to go up and build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. That is number three. Number three, when God states your heart, finally you will rise up and go to build the kingdom. Amen? Why well, I'm saying that I wanted to clarify that. Most of us would like to say, that I want to go and build God's kingdom. Many people will say that almost every week in the church. You talk to them, that's all they will say. I want to go and do the work of God. I want to be in the ministry. I want to be a missionary. That sounds so nice to the person who says. Sounds nice for everyone who is hearing it. But the only problem is they're not going anywhere. They're saying it so that it's nice to hear. And they started saying this when they were 21 years old. And now, time is passing by and you ask them, so when are you going to go? Well, I'm just about to get married. So when I'm married, we'll be gone with my wife. Okay? And they got married. And we say, well, when is this missionary deal going to happen? Well, my kids are just small and we're just waiting until the kids will grow up a little bit and then we are going to go. By this time, about 10 years have passed by. Amen? And they are still in the same church, still saying the same thing. You don't know. I have been called to be a missionary. I'm going to do the work of God. And now you ask them, what's going on now? Your, your children are married now. You should be able to go. But now there's a number of the grandkids are coming home. <laughs> Hello? Grandkids. We're looking after the grandkids. And God is looking at you and God is getting so tired of us. And God says, and when are you going to go? Look at you. You can't see. You're stone deaf. All your teeth are falling off. You're good for nothing. And who wants you to come as a missionary? Are you listening? Why? We are keep on harping on this thing. Saying, I will arise and go. I will arise. And that was 30 years ago. And you're still saying, I will arise and go. I will arise and go. It is like the old LP records. You know? You know the thing, you put a needle and this thing will sing. Maybe it will be the same with CDs, right? If the CD has got some dirt on it, what will happen? You go there and it will get stuck in one place. And how will it sing? It will sing like this. I will arise and go. I will arise and go. I will arise and go. Get that needle off that place. Give a wipe on that CD. Get the people going. Amen. Why are we not going? Because the heart is not stirred. 
Amen. When you let your heart to stir, then you'll jump off and you will take off. Then you will make your life count and you will become a missionary. Amen. Then when God stirred their hearts, they arose and they went to build the house of God. Amen. Are you getting tired? But I am. <laughs> Maybe I'm getting tired of listening to my own voice. All right, let me just talk to you one more thing. Right? Uh, this is the story where God called Moses to the mountain. It is in, in Exodus chapter 35. I want you to find it and I will tell you the story as you're finding it. And uh, God called him to the mountain and God said to him, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And I, he said, I'm going to give you exactly the design, the plan, and the, the type of things that you need to use for building this tabernacle. And so Moses said, okay, that's fine. Well, when do you want to do this? Would you be able to wait until we get there? Well, into the land of Canaan. Because we are living in that the time it is in the wilderness, desert. And this is not a place conducive of finding all these materials. So will you wait? God said, no. I wanted to build my tabernacle now right in the wilderness. Moses is like a pastor. He's thinking God is unreasonable. Have you felt like that sometime? You know, when you don't have the money, when you are struggling for your own existence, God says, take that money and give it to God's work. Man, what's wrong with you, God? Can you count my money? Can you see the little thing that I have? Right? And Moses is arguing his case, saying, no, this is the wrong place. You know, the desert, the wilderness, it means the heat of the sun. It talks about the hardness of life. It talks about the unemployment problem. It talks about there is no job out there. It talks about life is a big struggle. That's what wilderness means. And God is demanding. And this is not a silly building. It needs gold. It needs silver. It needs bronze. It needs all this kind of stuff. And Moses is saying, you got to wait. God said, no, I want it right now. I want you to go and tell them. Tell the people that I'll take it from there. So Moses comes down from the mountain. He calls all the people and says to them, I've got bad news for you. Don't go from, this is in chapter 35, okay? Don't go and try to read what all I'm saying. It's not there, okay? I'm just saying it so that you don't go to sleep, all right? But I'm not speaking a wrong theology, but I'm just trying to keep you awake, by the way. All right? So Moses standing in front of the people. And I got bad news. What is it? I've been fighting with God for all these days in the mountain. And God will not listen to me. God insists. He will not change. So what does he want? He wants us to build a tabernacle here in the wilderness. And I told him it's not going to work. I told him you're poor. I told him that you don't have jobs. I told him that you don't have the money. He won't listen. He said, go and tell them. I don't need your help. So I'm telling you, if you have got nothing to give, fine with me. I, he wanted me to tell you, I've done my job. So I'm on your side. And you do whatever you want to do. So that's the background of the story. Now these people listen to him. And now we come to verse 21. And what does it say? Verse 20, is it they're putting it at the back? They're not? Good. Don't do it, Tim. Oh, you did. Then the Lord, where are we? Now we need to go to verse 20. What is it? Exodus chapter 35, verse 21. 
All right, here we read like this. They listened to him in verse 20. It says that all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And now, listen to the next verse. It says, then everyone came whose heart was turned and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all his services, and for the holy garments. Amen. Did you read that with me? Can you imagine that? God just overrode Moses. And what did God do? All God did was he stared the hearts of the people. Amen. Their spirit became willing. And they came and gave and gave and gave. As I told you, it was gold, it was silver, it was bronze, it was sheepskin. My question is, where was this now? They were all crying poor. They were all saying they don't have anything. Where did they find this gold and silver and all that? Do you know where? Because just before they left Egypt, God said to Moses, tell the people, go and get all this stuff from their neighbors. You tell them that we need to take it for, for worshiping God. Then, then they went and got this, this golden ornaments and the silver and everything. But what they did was, they, they tucked it at the bottom of their suitcase. Saying to themselves, this is not for any time during the journey. This is our insurance. This is our security. This we will take it out when we reach the land of Canaan. Till that time, you sit safe under this, this suitcase. And we will need you when we get there. Now, they are in the middle of their journey. They are in the wilderness. And God stirred their hearts. Now what happened? When the hearts were stirred, they went back to their tents. They opened their suitcase and they started digging deep. Amen? You like that? You're saying, I don't like that. Your preaching in the morning was okay. I like that this kind of you know, that's wisdom and, and anointing. Why are you making me to dig deep? Well, that's what will happen if you will allow God to stare your hearts. Yeah. Amen? They dug deep and they pulled out and they brought, not murmuring. They were happy. They were dancing along the way. And they brought and they brought and they gave it. You know, somebody with a bunch of golden ornaments, somebody with a silver plate, somebody with a bunch of sheepskin. There they were every morning, a long line of people. What are they doing? They are giving to God. Where are they? They are in the wilderness. What about their life? Poor, needy, wretched. But what are they doing? They are giving generously to God. Amen. Thank you for that clapping. I thought you were very angry with me. Well, at least some of you are okay with me. That's good. Amen. And they kept on giving and giving and giving until it became a problem. And I'm going to pray that God will bring that problem upon this church. What kind of a visiting ministry is he, man? He's bringing problem to our church. Pastor Ross, this should be the last time we'll have this guy. We don't want problem here. We got enough of that already. What was the problem? We read in chapter 36. And in verse 4 and 5, we are reading like this. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And verse 5, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people are bringing much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. 
Have you heard this anywhere? In any church? Where you hear that people are bringing much more than enough? Have you ever heard this? Can you imagine that Pastor Ross is standing here next Sunday morning? And he's looking at you and he says, you, you bunch of generous givers. I'm just sick and tired of you. <laughs> the bank manager called me the other day and they said, they can't take any more money. <laughs> we can't handle any more money in here. Don't you dare to bring money from your church. He said, what are you doing? We can't have your money anymore. And he said, I dare you when you come next week to the, to the church. Never. I, we don't want your credit cards. We don't want your wallets. We don't want your checkbook. We don't want any. Keep it with you. We are, don't want any more money. Can you imagine that? You don't think it can happen. Just wait until God will stir your heart. Man, you're going to bring all the checkbooks and you're going to put it in the offering. Amen. That's what God did. Amen. So Moses said, okay, we have to do something about it. And he said, bring two guys with good real muscles. We, can't, we need not, not just little boys. We need real good muscular giant-like guys because we've got a job to do. What is the job? They have to stand in front of this collection tent. And their job is to stop there's numerous people coming to give to God, to give for the work of the sanctuary. So these guys, all these WWF guys, you know, standing there with all their muscles. And there they are coming, this poor lady and these guys, you know, bringing the, the, the golden chains and the silver platter. And these guys come here and say, we told you not to come. Go back. They're not going. They want to get. Go back. Get out of the place. <laughs> Amen. The Bible said they were restrained from giving. Amen. That's what we read in verse 6. I think that we have had enough preaching for the day. Let me close my Bible. Amen. That gives you kind of a false security. That I might finish preaching. Because I closed my Bible. I was not looking at it much. But for your sake I closed it. Amen. God wants to stare your spirit. Every one of us needs a staring. Nobody is above being stirred in our spirit. And tonight. God is saying to you, your spirit has gone a bit cold. I want to stir your spirit. Amen? The spiritual life needs a stirring from God. Amen? Otherwise, our spirit gets cold. Then what happens? We start to lose the joy of salvation. We start to lose the excitement that we used to have before. And we feel it is hard. Living Christianity becomes a hard thing for us. Coming to church is a big job. Sitting for two hours is a horrible thing. These people are jumping up and down and singing too long. Everything becomes hard for you. What is happening? It's the same church. It's the same worship. It's the same preaching. Every time getting better. What's wrong with us? Because my spirit is getting cold. Amen. What do I need? I need a staring in my spirit. Amen. We need a church full of people whose heart have been stirred. That's when we will fly when we worship God. There's not a dull moment. Nothing is enough. Amen? When his heart gets cold, everything is too much. We don't want anything. Too many songs. 
Too long message. Too much time. Allow God to stir your spirit again. Then you'll get back to the 10 years before when you got saved. Amen. You remember those days? You don't want to go home. One Sunday is not good enough. I want to stay in the church every day. Don't kick me out. I want to be here in the house of God. How did that happen? Because you were hot. Your heart was hot. Your spirit was hot. But now, as the time goes along, if you don't let this heart to be stirred, it starts eroding. It starts to get cold. But tonight, the word of the Lord is coming. And he's saying, I want to stir your spirit. Why? For your sake. That's what God says. For your sake, I want to stir your heart. I want to change your priorities. I want you to see me, what I've done for you. And I want you to start glorifying me again. Don't take the glory for yourself because you have not done anything. I did it for you. Time to glorify my name. Time to give yourself to become a kingdom builder. Time for you to finally get up and go and become a missionary. Become God's servant. Doing the work of God. And finally, becoming the best giver. Amen. It's got nothing to do with what you have. It's all everything got to do with your heart. Amen. It's a heart that matters. It's a heart that changes things. Amen. And he wants to do that for you. Ready for prayer? Stand with me, please. Stand with me. Some of you know that this is kind of a prophetic message for you in your life because you desperately need a stirring in your life. Others, because we're all of us need a stirring in our spirit. Amen. We want the Christian life to be renewed one more time. The joy to come back again. The excitement, we want it back. We want Christianity to be an amazing way of life. Living every day. A simple recipe. Just ask the Lord to stir your spirit. And everything will fall in place. Would you like to pray with me? Would you really mean it when you lift up your hands? Would you really mean it saying, yes, I want my heart to stare. I'm willing to let go and ask the Lord to come into me. I want God to stare my spirit. I need a staring. I want to be different. If you do, I want you to lift up your hands with me, please. God wants to share your spirit. I love him to touch you. I can sense standing here. The hand of the Lord is touching you. Some of you, the Lord is putting his hand on your heart and touching you and saying, revive yourself. I want you to hear that. And I want you to pray with me saying, Lord, revive me, Lord. Touch me. Stare my heart. Stare my heart, Lord. I don't want to be the way I am today. I want to be different. I want to be different. Keep praying, please. Wonderful Jesus. There's a staring taking place right across, right across this auditorium. There's a staring place taking place right across this auditorium. Let go. Let go of yourself. Don't need to hold back. Let it go. Let it go. Let the Lord stare your heart and your spirit. We will be different. We will be better. 
will be the way that God wants us to be. Yes, do that, Lord, in my life. Do that in my life, Lord. Do that in my life, Father. We're going to open up the altar for a moment, for a few moments. And if you want a fresh touch of God in your life, if you want the Lord to change you and, and take you to a, a higher level, and it is time for me to have a fresh touch, I want you to step out of your seat and please come to the front. Please come. This is your day. Keep, please keep coming. This is your day. Don't, don't waste it. This is an amazing day for us. This is our amazing day. I need a fresh touch. I need a fresh touch from God. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Lord, stir my spirit, Lord. I'm tired of the way that I am. I want to be different, Lord. Lord, stir my spirit, Father. Lord, I yield myself to you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Keep coming. Keep coming. This is our day. We don't want to miss it. Because we want to be like what God wants us to be. Tell my spirit, Lord. Wonderful Jesus. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.